Welcome to the Weekly Woodcast with Dennis and Michael Woodworth. We have a special guest in studio today who has been a personal friend of mine for quite some time and has a wealth of knowledge in regards to sports and officiating in those sports. So we're going to call this part two of officiating in sports with Pat Duffany. Welcome to the studio, Pat. Thank you, Dennis. Thanks we're, for um, Jeremy Stevens was in here the other day just talking about his perspective, which is a different perspective because he's not quite your age. Um, probably almost 20 years younger than you are. So you have a different perspective from a different generation. And um, I wanted to bring you in to discuss some of those things and expand on what Jeremy and I started on. And then, um, but before we do that, let's give people some background. You have a uh, distinctly different accent, which is on the east, east, east coast of Canada. Thank you very much. Where are you, where are you originally from? I'm originally from a small town uh, out, uh, in Stephenville on the Port of Port Peninsula, a place called Lords. Yeah. 35 miles west of Stephenville. How long did you live there? Until uh, I was about 18 or 19. And then where'd you move? I moved to Nova Scotia. Okay. Was it here originally or you went somewhere else first? No, me and a few buddies of mine decided to jump in a, ve- a truck and take a trip to Nova Scotia and visit friends of ours that worked down in the fish plant down Riverport. Right. So we all come up for the weekend and... I knew a lot of the people that was at the fish plant, so they were Newfoundlanders to uh, uh, supervise and stuff. Right. So, uh, I went to them one day, and I just said, you know, this was on a Thursday or Friday. I said, you know, I said, I'd like to have a job because I really don't want to go back. I'd like to stick around and try to do something. So they called me Sunday night and asked me if I wanted a job, I could have it. So, like you say, I stayed, and the rest of my buddies went back to Newfoundland. If there's one thing that I can say about you as long as I've known you, if I were to categorize you in a statement, be work ethic. You, I remember clearly when you first started playing with the the Bridgewater Schooners here in Bridgewater Baseball back in the late mid to late eighties, and um, just the way you hustled, the way you held yourself, the way you conducted yourself on the field, even the way you even warmed up made an impact on me because it showed that you you cared. And that, I think, translates into the rest of your life that I think a lot of people misunderstand. They see you every day. Well, first of all, you, you worked at Michelin how long? I worked there 30 years. So you were there 30 years. You retired at age 51, right? Yeah. Not many people retire at age 51. Not at all. That's not at all, right? I mean, so then you you just basically immersed yourself into the sports culture as an official. Yes. So whether it was whether it was uh, softball, mixed or men's or it didn't matter what level it was or what night it was, you were available. Obviously, with minor baseball, from the the youngest of ages right to you know senior baseball in the province. Yep. You um, you, you know you've been involved with soccer. Yes. As well. So, you, you know, you've really immersed yourself into the sports culture, not just in one sport. Yeah, lacrosse, I did lacrosse, too, when Bridgewater had a real good team back a while. I did lacrosse here, too, in Bridgewater. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's something that has been almost like a second career on a very low-paid scale. Yeah, well, I'll, <laughs> I'll use your words when, that, when you say passion. It's a passion. Yeah. And a lot of people don't look at it as a passion. I watch right. you, if I go watch a softball game, or because my daughter plays softball, or some of the guys I know, or... If I go watch you, if I watch you in a baseball game, a softball game, you still have that hustle that you always had as a player. And I really admire you for that because a lot of people don't 
actually, well, they've never played at that level, so they, they don't know what that kind of hustle really means and what it translates into performance. Yep. So let's, I mean, it's, baseball's my love and passion, as you know, so let's dig into that a little bit first. Yes. Parenting in sports has, has dramatically changed. I think today, like back in the day when you and I played, Barry Gillis is a good friend of mine. It's been here uh, a few times in the studio as well. We used to go to the field and just go play. Yep. And our parents, you know, rarely showed up. You know, we just went and played. And then when we when we finished the game, we'd go home and they'd say, how'd you do? Today, I think parents go to everything. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right? So the, the problem with that is that we want parents to be there because they have fans and they watch their kids. But sometimes they get a little heavy on, especially kids that are young. Talk about the pressure that it is for a young person that is starting out as an official, whether it's in baseball or hockey, what they go through, and then the abuse that sometimes they take that really is unneeded. Yep. Well, like as far as that, as far as being a young individual, and I look at the young umpires now that are starting, I think what parents got to realize that when they're watching a game, they're watching somebody else's kid so they got to put themselves in a situation if that was their son or daughter that was stood umpiring or doing a baseball game to yeah, put themselves in that situation and see how those kids really feel because when they first start their games, they're, they're probably scared to death about making a call or even doing anything. Absolutely. So, I mean, they're scared. And then on top of that, you get parents that's hollering at them, you know, from outside and stuff, which adds that much so precious because then they're so much more scared to make a decision on anything. And they're influenced a lot by – the way coaches talk to them when they're young and the way players talk to them influence a lot of their decisions. But that's part of the learning process, and it's, it's tough. But you have to just suck it up and just try to move on and learn, learn from it. What right? I do like about what we do here is that a lot of the times our senior officials will spend some time with the players umpiring in lower-level games and, and really giving them some insight, some comfortability and confidence of being an official because – if you throw two young kids on the field, I remember one night in Halifax, um, Chris Sink, who has been a coach with me for a decade, I, he'll remember this night because we had two officials that weren't really qualified to be there. And when the game was over, they ran off the field. They ran into oh. their cars because they thought that we were going to eat them alive. And, and I, from my perspective, I mean, Chris has never been, but – I've been an umpire for a long time before, um, and I try to always keep in perspective of what it's like on from their side so that they get the respect that they earn by just being there. Now, it's not to say that you don't need to learn the game because as an umpire, you need to learn the game as well, the, the tempo of the game, the strike zone as an umpire, out and safe calls, all those things, saying it confidently, Yes, All definitely. those things really go, come into play, but it's it's um it's tough for kids. I I think for the most part, as I can give information to young kids, if they go on the field as umpires, is to work hard. Like work hard. If you make mistakes and you're working hard, coaches are going to look at you. Look, man, you know, like this kid is hustling. This kid is working hard. You know, he deserves a little bit of slack sometimes. If even if he makes a you know a close call that mightn't go your way. I mean, like, as far as umpires, like, even coming to the field looking like an umpire, you know, like, we go through it a lot. Like, I find that I wish a lot of softball people would have played baseball 
Because I think if they had played baseball at a younger age up through, they'd have a lot more respect for the game of softball. Yeah, absolutely. Right? You know, and, I, and that's sad about it because the people that I know that I've played baseball with and you did, like Mike Freeman, Al Sampson, and those guys that play softball, like the respect is there. But a lot of people that they are playing the game of softball and stuff now in the men's or whatever, the respect is not there towards officials because I think if they would have played baseball and learned to respect the game, I think they'd probably have a different outlook on the way they treat people. The other thing, too, is that a lot of times when you're, and not just in softball at all, because I have a lot of friends that play yeah. softball. Oh, no. A lot. But they don't grow up in a culture with coaches. Yeah. So they they tend to, you know, start playing mixed softball when they're 17 or 18 or maybe, maybe, maybe in high school. But most of the generation that's playing right now, that's probably 30 years old and older, have just played. Yeah. And then... Um, they they just don't understand the nuances of what it means to be an official. So let's let's I mean let's let's do a, a U turn and and go into hockey because that's a whole different. Oh, I mean right. we love baseball, but hockey is the national sport from coast to coast. You said lacrosse earlier, and it, it's I guess they say it's a national sport, but hockey is the love of our country. Sure it is, and it's the bandbox of criticism. I mean every parent that walks in a rink. They know everything about the game. Their little Johnny, their ice time, the penalty is is right, wrong. Why didn't you call this? Why didn't you call that? But if you go into the kids again, they're linesmen in most cases. And even if they make one mistake, they're just they're just jumped all over, you know. So it's hard for those kids to keep taking that type of abuse and stay on course. That's why we we lose officials and we're always recruiting. Yeah. I think if the the people that's out there watching the officials like would uh, concentrate on the love of the game, watching the team play instead of watching their individual son or daughter watch the game because they're sort of like having like tunnel vision. They're watching everything that's going on around their own kid. Yeah, absolutely. So then everything that happens to that kid, they're freaking out about it. But if they stood back and watched the game for the love of it and how it goes, a lot of times their kid would be on nice and they probably wouldn't even know if, you know, they didn't know he's there but to be able to look at the game from a di- different perspective and enjoy the game more. And we, enjoy had, we, it. we had Jack Murphy in the studio the, the other day, and he talked about his son, yes. Jay, but when he played for Jack, and that essentially he was overly more critical to avoid having a father-son yes. than, than to actually have more of it. And I think as a parent, when you go in, you go in as a spectator. Yep. And, um, I mean, you always want to protect your son or daughter, Sure. But but in most cases as a parent, most, not all, because there's some really knowledgeable parents no that um, that have played the game. But even those people, if you're knowledgeable, then you should know that an official isn't perfect. I haven't met a perfect player in any sport yet. No. And if, if players can't be perfect, then how in the world can you expect an official to be? They're, they're humans, right? So I don't know. It's, it's just... It's always, I guess it's one of the reasons why when I'm a coach in baseball, when I go on the field, I have the approach that all I want to know is from their perspective of what they called and why. And that was it. I never try to change the call unless it's a rule. If there's a rule issue, then I'll, okay, you may not understand the rule. Or, Patty, in some cases, I may not understand the rule. (laughs) Really? Right? So, I mean, like, a lot of coaches think they know all the rules. But the reality is is that the rule book is there for a reason. 
And um, that's why I guess the guys that I coached on the provincial team quite a few years back, um, I always make them do a level two exam for the umpires exam mm. to see how much, how well they knew the rules. So what's some of your experiences on the ice? I mean, you've got a lot of stories. I mean, you've been, how long have you been refereeing hockey? Oh my God, it must be 25, 30 years. 100, 200? <laughs> yeah, probably 200 years. I mean, give me, give me some of the. Well, yep. well, let's let's touch on gentlemen's hockey for a little oh, bit. Oh boy, here's one. Right, I mean. Well, let's go with the terminology, gentlemen's yeah, hockey. Okay, let's. Yeah. What does that mean? Uh, right. It's just a term that was put there. Is it gentlemanlike? Uh, for the most part, yes, it is. How old? How old typically do you find gentlemen's hockey age group wise? What demographic? What do you mean, like as far as their oh. age, like starting age to? Well, I think they usually have like thirty-five. They're like thirty-five and up, but right. there's a lot of there's. You got to bring younger people in to play gentlemen's, right? Because if you don't, it's just going to go by the wayside. Right. Okay. But my experience with gentlemen, let's talk about that for a minute. Is that uh, I find the people that's in charge of the teams, that's mm-hmm. running the teams. You're talking coaches or yeah, the coaches okay. or player coaches. Okay. Yeah. Let's go player coaches. Most, most of them are. Most of them are player okay. coaches, right? And my biggest issue with those guys over the years that I took a lot of abuse from is the people that you have a lot of respect for in your community. But those are the wrong people, for some reason, to put in charge of running a team because they're the ones that's the ones to lash out, to to add fuel to the fire. Instead of, like, supporting an official, which they are officials themselves, right? Some of them are. Yeah, some of them are. They're in a situation where they should be helping the game and sort of diffusing certain situations, but what they do... They add fuel to the fire as if they're being a leader, but they're not actually being a leader. They're they're just you know defining something about gentlemen's hockey that should not be. So maybe right? they're out of character. Definitely out of character. You know, yeah. they're out of character in a place where, and I don't know why because hockey brings out. I know as a player for me when I was younger, and it's certainly not who, but when I was younger, it was it's hockey's an aggressive sport. Sure. I mean it's it's I fast, I it's it. rough, it's aggressive. There's a lot of language that's there that you don't really, in society, really use. Yeah. Um, so you just, something that you, as an official, have to deal with. And that's why I think some people get out of character. And they don't realize, I don't know, they don't think about it. Like, I go there, like, I do, like, certain stuff before I go to every hockey game or whatever. Mm-hmm. I sort of watch something on TV or whatever that puts me in a good mood that makes right. me laugh before I go. Sure. So every time I go to a baseball game or a gentleman's hockey, I go there feeling good about it and being there because I want to be there. Mm-hmm. And that's the outlook I have on it. But a lot of times when you go and you're doing certain teams, you know what you're building yourself up for when you go there because those are the same people. They're the ones that you're saying out of character at games and they're the ones that give referees the biggest issues, the biggest problems in wow. hockey because they put you under a microscope I don't know if, if I just don't understand it because some of them were referees or umpires themselves and they're playing hockey. And th- th- for some reason, I just don't understand why those people you have respect for in your own community are the people out there on the ice that will degrade you and put you down and question everything you call and them. I, I, I won't say that. I mean, yeah. we're not unique. No. I mean, this is could be typical right across sure the sure country. There's right? no doubt. So. No doubt. But at those official, I'm sure that happens other places too. But that's part of me being official. Uh, and another good thing about that, if, this, if I can put some good into what's going on there, is that they're actually making you accountable. I mean, you're there, you're doing a job. They're paying you a couple bucks to do it. So maybe, you know, they're, they're making you accountable and keeping you on your toes all the time so to make sure you're working and hustles. And that's what I try to do. Well, right? I mean, if, you, if they don't have guys like you 
that are willing and have the schedule to do it. It's one thing about your life is that you have the flexibility. A lot of people have busy lives, like with kids, because your kids are grown up. Yeah. Um, careers, they're still working in today's society uh, in a regular job. Then they have to fill in. So if it's a 10 o'clock or 10.30 game in a gentleman's game, somebody may not be willing to go referee at 10.30 because they have to work the next morning, 7 o'clock in the morning. So... You know, they're in a situation then like, okay, well, if you abuse this official enough and they're not willing to, to do it, who else yeah. is there? Yeah, the, the, right now there's such a shortage of us that, like, yeah. I, I got a call, like, last night to do a game in Lunenburg and stuff. The officials are just not there. Yeah. And, I mean, getting back to what you were saying about commitment, like, even when I worked at Michelin, I, like, Michelin was, to me, is awesome company for me, the way they treated me and gave me the flexibility that I could, you know, have someone to cover quality while I went and refereed for a couple right. couple of hours, come back, and then, then still work the rest of the night. You know, and to me, when I sign up for something, I give 100% commitment if I can I've do seen something, that. right? I've seen that. Yeah. So that's, that's never been a question for me. I yeah. mean, it's never been. It's just it's amazing that um, for whatever reason, like I said, I just think people don't recognize the hustle. They almost think it's almost like an ego thing, and there's no ego in you at all. I mean, you just you give 110% in everything you do. And I think in society, people, I don't know, they, they, because they don't give 110%, you know, they may look at you and say, I, ah, you know, he can't be that, you know, and I, I can say in, in my life, sometimes in my life, I, I see that as well in my, whether it's in the sports that I involve or my businesses that I'm involved in. Uh, Steve Harvey always says, there'll always be haters. Okay, if you that. if you perform at a high level in anything you do, there'll always be haters. There's two different kinds of haters, but the reality is you'll always have them. And in, and the reason for most of it is because it's just envy. Yeah, and like I like we're talking about hockey. That's what I find. Like a lot of times, uh, like I don't know why the respect ain't given there. Like I mean, it's not like I'm out there demanding respect or anything like that. I use my work ethic and I work hard. And sometimes I don't know if. if those same people that are criticizing about officials that's been doing it for so long and doing it, they have the same opportunity that I have mm. to go out and do this. So instead of choosing to do this, they're sort of frowning down on people that put the extra time and extra effort and the time to learn the game, right? And and sometimes that's that's sad in a way for me because they got the same opportunity that I've gotten, I've had ever since I've been in Nova Scotia. Well, and I mean, you've been to a lot of clinics over the years too, sure. helping the youth of sports because yeah. for a kid it's great to have some extra spending money they're refereeing or umpiring or whether it's basketball or or hockey or baseball or football or whatever the case may be that they're, they're learn because they're they're learning the rules of the game and they're making some spending money which is a good thing sure it's a really good thing right and, and you've done a lot of those clinics sure and people make comments like i've had comments this year of course with COVID and everything going on like there's no softball in this area right right so i mean there's people that I know that I consider my friends that are, you know, some of them are making comments, well, what's Pat going to do now? He's not umpiring baseball or softball all summer, so what's he going to do for money? Like, how's he going to live? Like, you know, like, <laughs> he's, like, he's already retired at age 51. Yeah, like, seriously. I think people are smart enough to figure that out. I'm sure, yeah. I sure hope so. But I mean, it's sad in a way that they can say that. I mean, and I can tell you, tell anybody, I mean, you know what? Like, I worked with them for 30 years, and I'll praise the company. Yeah. They looked after me. 30 years, and they're going to look after me till I'm no longer here. Yeah. So, so how can I? You do it for the love of the game. And, I mean, the remuneration part of it is a part of it. But if you you can see it. I can see. 
I know officials that just do officiating for the money. I can tell by the way they conduct themselves on the field. I can tell by the way they conduct themselves on the ice. Exactly. You can see someone who genuinely loves what they do in an environment that they're in. You can also see a lot of past players that officiate because they have a certain way about them. They just have yeah. a posture because you can tell they have the knowledge of the game. So they're not more, they're less robotic. They're more, they understand the fluidness of the game and the tempo of the game. And they just, you know, put themselves in a the position and then they can relate to the players if they have an issue. Yeah. But it's hard to respect a player if they have no respect for you. That's the hard part. I mean, you get in a, a situation of confrontation where if a player has no respect for the official, it's just, you know, yeah. wow, right? It's so. tough. Like, I mean, in gentlemen's right now, I know we're probably not allowed to, to say names or anything, but I find the majority now of gentlemen's here now, it's good. It's enjoyable to go to the game because the, the, the few, there's a handful, maybe three or four, that was really bad for the for the game of gentlemen's hockey in this town probably probably very similar to all small towns yes you know across the each province across yeah. the whole country right? right but those players now in the last few years haven't been playing gentlemen and now the teams that they played on which was unbearable to ref at times it's a pleasure to go and referee yeah. them now because that's just an example of how one individual on a team can have so much impact on the whole team when it comes to playing the game of hockey Right. Well, cancer can spread pretty quickly, yeah. and and and, it, yeah. and it's I guess sometimes a player may be more experienced or been there longer, and then those new players don't want to speak up to rattle the chains too much. So, but all it takes sometimes is somebody on the team that's in a position that everybody respects just to speak up and say something right. sometimes. But instead of saying something, they'll just let the person that's so so like leading the team. So to do their own thing and not really say, because almost like you're going to upset somebody. Mm-hmm. But if more people and gentlemen would just speak up sometime and say, you know what, like just give it up. Like, no, that wasn't a bad call. That was a good call or whatever. Yes, that was offside. Or yes, that was icing, right? Instead of, and so this person maybe said, well, maybe I shouldn't be hollering at the ref. At a, you know. Well, and once again, it gets back to, please show me a perfect player. Yeah. That's what it all comes down to is, is and, and they can say, well, he's getting or she's getting paid to do it. It's, they're still human. Yeah. Unless you want to have instant replay in every division of sport, because you can see the best of the game in Major League Baseball, in the NHL, in the NBA, they make mistakes. In the NFL, I mean, all the time. They And they have, a, they have like 10, 12 <laughs> eyes on the game. And that yeah. the, the instant replay comes in, and, it, and a lot of, some of them are reversed, some of them are not. So it just goes to show that nobody's perfect and and sports i dare anyone to play them without officials oh, it's right in this town match every town is the same like i mean but what i uh, i find about a lot of the players now like i've gained a lot of respect for a lot of players now in, in the gentleman talking stuff around here now right right because it's it, you look at it there's a lot of talent in this town well, there's when a lot of talent in the country. In the country, but I mean, like this town, our like little it, town. Yeah, yes, for a little town. There's a lot of good hockey players and stuff yeah, in this town. Absolutely, there's no right. question, and and um, we are fortunate to know a lot of them yeah. personally, and they all have their own stories. Reality is, is that <coughs> they're not 18 trying to make the NHL anymore. Yeah. Right? They're in their late 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, or 60s in some cases. Yeah. Just go play and, and be fortunate enough to be able to step on the ice. I mean, I live a portion of the year in a country where, you know, 
a lot of kids don't get opportunities to play every day. They can play in the street if they have equipment, if yeah, they have equipment. Have, yeah. It's one of the major reasons why I'm there, but it's, um, man, it's just, it, well, that, that the old Cinderella song, you don't know what you've got till it's gone. And when you lose a sport like we have in COVID, it really puts in perspective of how much you love or how much you miss it. And like you said about missing it, like where does COVID, where like uh, softball really was non-existent here this year, and I found like a few times I went out and umpired for free yeah. this year. Yeah. Like you know they were playing at Michelin, right. so I just went out, just put my gear on and went out, just umpired for the evening, like just do it for nothing, just to get out and do something. And then, but the people that I started noticing that was playing is the people that's playing the game for the right reason. Mm. They're the ones that's out there on a Monday night at Michelin, like. A couple of weeks ago, I went out and just um, I just went out and um, for nothing. Right. Free, by the way, if nobody yeah, yeah. You know, can believe that. Right? <laughs> nobody wants to believe I did something for free. But anyway, but and I said to them, I said, you know what? I looked around. I said, this is why I come and do this. Because here's the people that's here playing the game of softball, 7, 8 o'clock at night under the lights of Michelin in the last couple of weeks. You know, those are the people that play the sport for the way it's supposed to be played. Oh, yeah. And I've been fortunate. A big yeah. shout out to guys like uh, Joey Bosmer, and uh, I shouldn't even start naming names because there's too many to mention. Yeah. Yeah. But we've gone to the Caribbean and the Dominican Republic and in Cuba, where we've had a lot of our athletes from from coast to coast. We've had teams from coast to coast, Nova Scotia, right to British Columbia, and um, you know I even spoke with somebody a couple months ago about a Newfoundland team going, and and most of it's mixed men's and women, and it's about just participation. Our job as ambassadors for our country is to contribute to society there, help the kids and help the programs in their communities because we are very fortunate to live where we live. And people want to do what you're what you're doing. They yeah. just need so, an avenue. And they need, and they need their avenue. They need a tour guide. Sure, they just they need, need someone that they can have confidence in to do the sure. job. And we've been there so many years and have the experience. But it's, it's nice to see those people come together and there's a lot of teams that had to you know combine three different teams because it's small groups and we made one team and it was really cool to, to see them all interact with each other be ambassadors for our country but also respect the officials like it was really it was really cool to see where typically you wouldn't see that you know at home but down there it was just, I kept saying it's just not as important, guys. Because yeah. when I was in Cuba a few years ago, mm, I remember I that. Went down and, you and Brian Lamb. Yeah, like I was, I was amazed when we got to the field that they actually, you know, announced us, walked us out as if, you know, like you're actually somebody. Yeah. You know, like it's, it's and it's amazing the passion that they have for the game of ball, and and to, like you know my work ethic is the same thing. When I like you know me, I'm not gonna do if I got umpire ball the next day, the night before, like I. Yeah. That, and I took that same value down there yeah. because I didn't want to go to a place like that. <laughs> it's hard, though. It was hard. It, it, it was it's hard. You hard. and Brian, yeah, that Brian. was very high. <laughs> Brian was a little more yeah, loose. I remember Brian. <laughs> but, the party next, party yeah, party. he had a, Brian and Lamb had a lot of fun. And, yeah. uh, and hey, well, I had fun, too. But oh, you did. I had to umpire the next day, like, I mean, that's the way I am. I didn't want to be out till 11 o'clock partying all night and then having to go umpire in, in the heat, so... I respect, that's how I respect the game. Well, they really, they respected you guys for coming down because it's nice that we had, you know, you and Brian one year. We had Blaine Gallant and his son another year. It's nice to show that our officials really want to be a part of this, right? And they they respect 
that contribution. Uh, we had a few clinics. I know that yeah. you and Brian put a few clinics on to help yeah. the umpires there. Yeah. And, I mean, some of these umpires, this is their only chance. Yeah. You know, uh, we pay them some money to umpire each day. They show up, you know, by the yeah. groves because they normally don't get paid. And it's nice to be able to see that our umpires, uh, the umpires division across the whole country really has been pretty solid. I know Jeremy talked a lot about it the other night that the opportunities to talk about, let's switch from softball and hockey. Let's go into, you know, the upper levels of baseball, like yeah. the senior league, intermediate league. Yep. Um, talk about some of your experiences there. Uh, <coughs> overall, basically my experiences, like especially senior baseball, because mm-hmm. I mean, you're accountable for everything you do on a baseball field, which, right. especially se- at the senior, which you are at all levels, right. but at the senior level, them guys, they play. They know the game. They know, like they know the rules. They know how everything should be applied. They right. respect hustle and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. But for the most part, I was uh, I was pretty happy. I mean, I, I got me personally, like just to, I got to do the higher levels of baseball in every level, whether it was fastball or baseball or yeah, whatever. Absolutely. In this province, I got to do the high levels of everything. Some of the guys that you umpire with that that stand out in your mind, who would they be that you you work with? That I work with? Yeah, I, I know some of the names, but I want to see if you come up with them. Well, <coughs> actually, the, probably one of the most supporting person that I ever had umpiring on the field was probably Jody Frawley. Yeah, Jody was the past president of baseball in Nova Scotia and yeah. head of the umpires division, too. Yeah, Jody. Yeah, and Jody's a good umpire, too. Yes, I mean, like a lot of times, to me, being out from just in Bridgewater, mm-hmm. like I'm not involved in a lot of the politics that goes on in the game of baseball. There's and, politics in baseball? Yeah, I know that's a surprise. <laughs> But anyway, like, if you're not, like, UIC or you're not on the board or all that kind of stuff, because we all know, true, like, we're, we're human. That's the way things work. Yeah, sure. If you're on the board and you're doing all this work to do stuff, when things come up, whether it's provincials, Atlantics, or whatever, you know, you're basically, you know, you're the ones gets gets chosen a lot of times. And I've been around umpires where it's chosen a certain time. Do they have the same ability? I don't know. But... The politics side, that's part of baseball. But you've umpired with Brian Lamb over in the Valley. Brian, I umpired Donnie with Donnie Boudreaux is another one you've umpired a lot and with. There, and there's, can I just yeah, say absolutely. something on sure. Donnie Boudreaux? Yeah, of course. There's another person, like Donnie Boudreaux, a good friend of mine. Mm-hmm. There's another guy that loves the game. He'll go anywhere to umpire a ball. And a lot of times he doesn't get the respect he deserves a lot of times. So people don't understand. Like, he's, he's deaf. Yeah, he is. So yeah. when he's talking to you, he's actually hollering at you. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't realize. So that's why me and him had such a great connection when we umpired together. So whenever we got in a situation where he was talking, I used to use hand signals, but nobody knew. I used to use hand signals to him. And he'd, he'd be talking, and all of a sudden I'd put my hand like this here, right? As soon as I put my hand like that, then he'd lower his voice, yeah. and, right? And then when he'd get to a spot where, he, like me and you were talking right now, I'll just I close my fist like this. And then he knows he's at the proper level. Right. So that's why a lot of times when people are talking to him where he's deaf, he thinks that they're actually criticizing him, so sometimes he'll overreact and have an ejection or whatever in certain situations. But people don't understand like his worth, dedic, and ability. Like I have a lot yeah. of respect for him. I mean, I know I have, I have fifty percent hearing in my right ear, yeah. so I know what he's dealing with. That's only my one ear. Yeah. So sometimes my voice can be, and I have a pretty booming voice too, so yeah. I can yeah. get sometimes too loud. Yeah. And like, how do I explain that for Michael then? Because Michael has good hearing. Yeah. But I mean, as far as as far as locally, like umpires, I mean, I umpire with all. Like, I mean, Jeremy, Jeremy's good umpire. Yeah, he is. Wow. Well, Jeremy, Jeremy played for a long time. He played yeah. in the intermediate league, and and then I like Jeremy transitioning over to umpiring because yeah. he wasn't the and he admitted yeah. he wasn't the easiest guy to umpire yeah. or referee for. 
tall. He was. It yeah. was. Uh, he had a whole different perspective as a player. He never put the mask on or never yeah. put a helmet on. Yeah. Now that he does, he gets a different perspective. And I think it's helped. He's a, he's admitted it will help him coach in the future. I don't think he's, he's Jeremy never got ejected. Is <laughs> just a couple times. <laughs> I, but, uh, can I just tell this quick story? With sure. Jeremy? Yeah. Absolutely. Great. Right. Yeah, yeah. So we were playing against. I was doing a play, and uh, Jeremy, the team, were playing. I don't know who they were playing, city team or whatever. And Jeremy was struggling towards the end of the game, so he was he was starting to get a little little cranky. Right. right? So, anyways, he was throwing pitches. Of course, pitches was off the plate, so I called a ball. Call it a ball, right? And of course he. He, I think it was like three and two or three and one or something to get. He had to throw a strike, basically. And he threw one down the middle of the plate, and the guy parked it. Three run home run, right? And he was out on the mound. He was calling me, everything, jumping up and down. I stood behind the plate. I said to myself, I said, wait till that guy passes the plate. Right? I stood back. <laughs> I, I, I had my helmet off. I had my helmet off. Right? The ma- I had the mask off. Yeah. And I couldn't wait for that guy to get around. As soon as the guy touched home place, I I looked through that Jeremy. I said, you're done. <laughs> right? It was so funny. We like It was it was funny. We talked with after the game. Jeremy goes, yeah, he said, uh, I was tired. He said, I want to go home anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? But that's just an example. Well, he's, a, he's, a, he's a tough competitor. A competitor. And, and you know what? I have I have a lot of respect for mm, Jeremy. Yeah, he's a tough competitor. And, and that's. That's difficult because yep. when you're ultra competitive, you're, you're on a fine line. And as an official, you got to recognize that. Yep. What, who am I dealing with as managers or coaches today and players where you can get a guy like, you know, for example, Darren Doucette, yep. right? Oh, Dewey's yeah. tough to, to umpire against, right? <laughs> I, I mean, and, and, and he'll, he'll admit it, right? He just, he just holds a high level of accountability and he's tough, but but if you know how to handle him, he'll res- he'll respect that, yes. right? And um, those guys that that you know t- traditionally in in that senior and junior league in Dartmouth, they had some really strong teams, and they yeah. just expected a lot from their officials when they stepped on the field. And I I respect that, I really do. The you know, first, the first uh, encounter I had with Doucette, like I heard so many stories about him. Like <laughs> so I was it was that senior game I was down in the Kenfall, and the first two times at bat. He come up and I rung him up on third strike. And you know me, when I ring somebody up, I ring him up. Yeah. So he didn't. He just looked back at me like that both times. Walked away, didn't say nothing to me. So I knew Jody Frawley was doing the bases. So I was doing the plate. So he come up the third time. This was like, I think in probably was the seventh or late in the game. And the guy threw a pitch at the knees right down the middle of the plate. I go ball. The pitcher throws another pitch right same spot ball. So the pitcher starts jumping around. Platons, you know, so the, he threw another pitch in the ball. He he hit a ground ball and got out. So after I'll try to make the story short. After the game, Jody come up to me said, he said, where was those two pitches on the big fella? I said, there's no way I was bringing. There's no way I was bringing them up three times in one game. That's what I told. I said to Jody, yeah, I am not bringing them up three yeah. times in one game. Yeah, Dewey's what six three, yeah. two eighty at that time. I would guess so. Yeah. He's a big dude. So, yeah, no, I know exactly how you feel. I mean, uh, oh, yeah, man. It, I was in, in the Valley in 19, probably 1993, 94, probably 93. And I lived out there for a summer. I was working out there. And um, so they asked me to umpire because I, I, at that time, I think it was level three or level four, oh, yeah. the old, the yeah. old levels. And um, there was a, a close call. Uh, second base and uh there's a brother's tandem out there in the valley i won't name who they are but <laughs> yeah. uh, you know who i'm talking about yeah, and definitely. when i made the call he 
he jogged by me and said, you know, good job, rookie, you know, kind of like, and, and I really put in perspective of like my situation. Now I had a lot of confidence because I was a player and, um, official a long time, but even then at that level, you, you, so you sometimes question, did, did I make the right call? Yep. Right. And, um, that goes back to kids for me is, yep. you know, we tell the kids to have a big strike zone, right. And to make the kid, make the kids hit the ball. Right. So then the kids have a big strike zone and then the parents are behind in the backstop yelling at them that the strike zone's too big yeah. or that, you know, that's not a strike. So giving the kids the opportunity to understand that you really don't hear anything behind the backstop or down the foul lines yeah. or in the rink, create a filter where you don't hear anything. Yeah. And if you do that, you'll last a long time being an official. The only thing I find, like you said about that filter, even if you're at the rink or the ball field, that filter's there. But if it, when that filter's broke, those are the people that you're going to eject oh, or yeah. get rid of. 100%. Like it's easy. So the most of the conversation that's going, you can filter that all because it's part of the game. Mm-hmm. And as an umpire, you have to accept that. Right. Because that's they're right. They have a right to cheer or criticize or whatever because that's what they do. But when to when they disrespect the game across the line, then you know those people. Will, as soon as you hear the voice, it will stand out. From everything else. Oh, yeah. Then, then you have a choice. You either have to eat it the rest of the game or whatever, or you got to deal with it. And that usually, you know, usually happens. You have to, right? Certain situations. There's um, a guy from Liverpool that used to be an umpire years ago. You know who I'm talking about? <laughs> Probably the most animated. What is his name? Uh, Rick. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Ricky. <laughs> Ricky Hat. <laughs> Ricky Hat. Ricky was one of the most animated umpires. He was one of the, one of the most animated animated players. Like when he played for the Privateers, he was so animated as a player, just digging in the the, the yeah, box, yeah. right? Yeah. And then he then he became almost like a character oh, yeah. of an umpire. Like some umpires, you walk on the field, they're characters. Like they you couldn't yeah. you couldn't draw a cartoon character more yeah. animated, right? I think the biggest thing about being an umpire is if you can get off that field. And be invisible. You've done a great job. The more invisible you are, yeah. and I'm not saying Ricky didn't have good games because he did, and, <laughs> and he did a lot of them. Yeah, yeah. But he had it, a lot of ejections too. Oh my, <laughs> my! I I almost think he was almost saying to himself like, "Who am I going to eject yeah, before oh, yeah. the game even starts?" I think he had you pick. He had us pick before the game even started. Yeah, like who's going to yeah. just just give me one reason <laughs> why, right? Yeah. But if you could, I, I remember a kid from Hammond's Plains, a young kid. Would have been about 18 or 19 years old. Man, did he hold himself. Did he have some posture? He's a, he's a player. And I commented to him after the game. I said, you did a phenomenal job Great. because you were invisible. They need to hear that. You know, and I think that's one thing as parents or players or coaches commend people when they do a great job. You know, I think it, it needs, it's needed more. Yeah. But as far as around this area here, like as far as you guys coaching, I've never really had any problem with coaches because as far as yourself or Shawnee or whatever, any of the guys that I found they respected the game for the most part. There was yeah. a few coaches back like before you guys, like like I said, we're not going to mention names. Like yeah. they just didn't coach for the right reason. They coaches for mm. like, if, like what benefit you especially is when you're, when you were coaching and stuff, you're coaching the whole team. You're not yeah. coaching your son. Yeah, no. And I found that was a little hard because I remember umpiring games behind the plate and the pitcher out on the mound was actually in tears. 
you know. Hundred percent. So I used to call time and just go out yeah. and talk to him. I said, it's "Tough." I used to say, "Look, man," I said, "You got just got to block that out." I said, "Look, you're a good pitcher. You're doing a great job. Just throw strikes, man." Well, I was lucky because right. a lot of the years, Michael will tell you that I those years I didn't coach them at all. Yeah. I was coaching a different division. <laughs> I coached baseball because I love baseball, and I didn't want. And it was, it's tough because I love to watch Michael play, um, but I I wanted him to have different influences we lived it every day together I mean, we watched sports desk every night for 10 years you know together so it's 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 nice to give him that different perspective because he lives around me all the time it's so tough. guys like barry um and, and other coaches along the way have helped now there was a couple of years i did coach with the coaching staff with michael but it was at a necessity because i didn't have anybody else yeah. but I, I really wanted Michael to get that perspective. And I know how hard it is because I played for my, telling Jeremy the other day, I played for my dad. I told Jack too, like, it's not easy to play for your father. And my dad was one of the best volunteers that we've ever had here. But it's just, you live it from the moment you leave till the night you go to bed. You, you just don't put it to sleep. Yep. And um, thank God for my mother because she uh, she would turn the, the switch off. Like, okay, no more. Yeah. We're done. Hi. No more conversation. And, um, but yeah, no, I, I know how hard it is and, and that's why, uh, it's, it's good. It's, it's hard to be a parent and a coach at the same time. It really is. It, if Sean's dealt with that with Luke too. So it's, it's not easy. Yeah. It's not easy. But if, if you're coaching the whole team, because people can stand back and watch if oh, you're yeah. just coaching your son or you, or you only cheer when your son is doing something. And, and, and that's noticeable. People's going to pick it up. But if you're cheering the whole team, when you do cheer your son or your kid, then it's not noticeable. Like Nobody really notices because you're cheering the whole team. But the only time you speak as a coach is when you're directing it at your own kid. Then people notice that and pick up on it, right? Well, it's funny because we were in a tournament in Cool Harbor one year. This is quite a, oh, wow. Like we're talking quite some time ago. I think it was one of the years that Michael was, yeah, it wasn't one of the years that I was coaching their group mm. and uh, the Getson family. Yes, Harvey and Donette with yeah. Keith and Keith and Travis, and Keith and Travis were really good ball players. And I remember um, one of the coaches from the city in Cole Harbor said, "You know, your son's having a really good tournament." I'm like, "Really?" I said, "Well, which one do you think's my son?" He thought Travis was my son. <laughs> yeah. You know, so and that could be one of the greatest compliments I could have gotten gotten because they didn't know who. My son was. That's it. They didn't know which one it was, and and that's really what was important to me was that I coached the game. No matter if, if when teams come from the city here too, usually after two or three innings, you know by listening to the parents who their kid is. Oh yeah, there's not much of a team cheering. It's like a like a kid, yeah. but I guess that's normal. I guess in a way, but I I think if they looked at it from a point of view, if we cheered a whole team on, build up the whole team, maybe that'll bring everybody together. Maybe play better baseball, yeah. right? It's one of the things we've we've preached for a long time with the group. I was fortunate to have guys like Chris Inc. and oh, and Barry Gillis and and uh, Blaine Zinn and Jeff Bulliver and Al O'Brien. What a character that thing oh, was! But we had a coaching staff. I was fortunate. I try to encourage all parents to participate in some level to help. So whether it's just hitting fly balls, like Blaine was our equipment manager, and he would. In practices, he's as big as an ox. I mean, the guy's as strong as anything I've ever met. And um, but he would hit fly balls to the outfield for an hour. Good guy for baseball. Oh, I mean, I miss him so much. It's yep. just been, and and you you see that family. And we're actually going to do a podcast one night with it, not so much to, to broadcast to other 
areas just for our own keepsake to kind of sit around a table and talk about some of the stories oh, because man. that's I think when it comes down to sport, you want to stay healthy. Yeah. It allows you to live longer in most cases. You have a connectivity to the community because you meet a lot of people. Oh, yeah. And then it, it keeps you connected with kids that I've watched since, well, Chris Zink's a great example. He's in his mid-40s, yeah. and I coached a kid when he was 11 years old. So it keeps you connected to sports. So Scott Winters is another great one. Scotty, yeah. one of my favorite in, of all time. Uh, he was probably, and he'll admit it himself, one of the worst players that ever played for me. Like the worst. Mm. But one of the best people you'd ever meet. And he's, and he's one of my favorite players of all time. Oh, yeah. So, and he works for Sportsnet in Toronto. Wow. As a cameraman. So it gives you an opportunity to meet a lot of people that go to different places in the world. Um, it just gives you a real perspective and a real wealth of, of relationships along the way. I like me personally, like, like you say, when we all played baseball, when I, I don't know how many years we played for the schooners and somebody put a picture on the computer back a few months ago with the team, the year that, I remember that. that we played, we won, I think with that same team, we won three provincial championships and the Atlantic championship. And that's the likes of like a Daryl Cross, Brian Buck, you know, and, uh, uh, Al Samps, Gordon Jodry, and Blaine Simo. Mikey Freeman was in part of that group. Mike Freeman, yeah. Uh, but I tell, I remember, I remember Brian Bucket is one of those guys that very good baseball player from New Brunswick, and yep. I was 17 years old, just coming out of one year of midget. Yeah. And warming up with Brian was an adventure oh. because the guy could throw from the fence almost. So we would do long toss every game before the game. And then, you know, Bucky would keep my arm strong because he just had a rifle, right? And, and you know, those guys, a lot of those guys are still around here. You know, Bobby Oakley I saw yesterday. I saw him last night at the yeah, game. Yeah, Bobby. Bobby's one of those guys. He's a Wildcat Hall of Famer that played yeah. senior baseball when they won the national championship in 85. Yeah. And, uh, you know, lives in the community, and, and you just see him. And those guys you meet are just people that you can you relate to because you've had history with them. So. Oh, yeah. That's where sports really, if you ask, I was talking, to, like I said, to Jack Murphy about it and just the, the relationships that you yeah. have. And I think a relationship that most parents or most people need to really put in that encyclopedia is the officials. Oh, Who are they? Yeah. I always ask when I go to the plate, where are you from? Yeah. How long have you done this? What do you like about it most? I want them to relate to me. I'm not some yeah. guy that doesn't know who they are. I, I, there's a phrase I use um, called people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So I just show that I give a shit, you know? That, that's all we can do, man. Like you, you, you brought up Jack Murphy a few times. Like, around this town, as soon as somebody says his name, everybody that knows sports or anything about basketball, anything, as soon as his name is spoken, they know or heard of him. Well, it's amazing, too. You know, like, I mean... He, Jack paid a big price, and you have, too, what people don't understand yeah. in a different way is the amount of certification it takes to be an official at a high level and to be the amount of certification it takes to be a coach at a high level. Sure. Uh, Jack and I talked about it, the miles you travel. We, we you know, myself and a few of the guys, Brandon Gannett and uh, a few of the guys that, uh, you know, I was involved with sport. We, we took a road trip to Hartford, Connecticut, to the World Baseball Coaches Convention yeah. and met some of the base, best baseball minds in the United States. 
Jack did the same in basketball. They would go to clinics in New York and they would go everywhere because they loved the game. He told me a story about how they rented a hotel room in 1984 in Halifax for uh, Mike Vanatorn Sr. and himself. And their wives rented a room to watch the NCAA final game and then drove home. You know, regular people don't do that. And um, I just find that if a lot of our officials are just just not respected, and but guys like Jack, or people like myself and others that you know that you can relate to those officials because you've been part of it, yeah. and you respect the game. Yeah, I don't know how like Jack might look on it maybe a little differently with what I would look on it. I find in an error. I mean, you touched base on this before when we talked about. Uh, locally sometimes how officials are not promoted like they should be mm. or not you know like given the opportunity given more opportunity or putting in a good word for them you know come and look at this person absolutely or do this kind of mm. stuff and i find that sad in a way i think that might be i don't know if that's changing now because it's been a couple of years because i stopped doing uh, uh minor hawking stuff because right. i mean my life was consumed by sports well what what do we, what do, we do in bridgewater baseball we created an umpire of the year award, yeah. you know, to recognize those who stand, not just who's the best umpire. It's, no. That's not why no. you're selected. Of course not. It's those guys that are accountable when you call them up and they, they drop everything to get down to the field because we need an umpire for an emergency reason or whatever the case may be. Yeah. Baseball Nova Scotia has an umpire of the year award as well. Um, so you want to recognize those individuals who contribute. And, and not everyone makes – Decisions for the same reasons. No, I mean, it's just that not. just happens, and and we all. I could I could spend a whole podcast for five hours talking about the people I've met through sport, especially baseball, just from the Caribbean Goodwill tours. Oh, no doubt. I mean, I've met baseball and softball people that just love the game. So if you love the game, then respect the game. If you respect the game, respect the officials, yeah. respect the people that are involved that make the game so awesome. Because umpires or referees they're noticed at the pro level when those officials are characters like you know who carrie frazier is you know um you know you know those names because um they just make an impact and and they're good at what they do you know so they're damn good at what they do yeah and, and it's fun that's the other thing is that you know, you're not as young as you used to be in 1987 or 1986, but you hustle the same way. Your attitude's the same way. I love what you said earlier about how you get in your frame of mind mm. before you get to the field. Oh, yeah. Which is nice to see, oh, you yeah. know. Because uh, sometimes it only takes five minutes for someone to try to ruin your night. But other times, so you go there with, a, with the right frame of mind. So then some of that stuff sort of reflects off you then because you're in a good mood when you get there. Yeah. So, and about, about like, I don't tell nobody this stuff, man, because people don't know what a person goes through, mm. what a person sacrifices yeah. to do what I've done. Like, when I go home at night, if, if, if something, someone is hollering at me for something that they thought I missed or whatever, I have really nobody to talk to when yeah. I go home. Yeah. So I'm up at the night. And, but basically what I'm doing, I'm questioning myself, like, what did I do wrong or what should I have done different? And to me, that takes its toll after a while on everybody. But that's a small part. When you have a lot of passion for what you're doing and care about what you're doing, then that's a small part because that's something you just got to have thick skin and just go back at the next game and say, well, you know what, let's, you know, 
maybe try to do things a little different or whatever, right? Well, if the why is big enough, the how becomes easier. Sure. So your why is big because you love the game. Sure. So then the how is doable. When you don't, when you don't have a big enough why, you quit. Yep. And that's a sad part about officials too. Like they they quit at a young age just for the simple fact that they don't like being hollered at. But that's why a lot of our older officials they got to go on the field and be with the younger kids. Because when I when I refed hockey and when I ref baseball and stuff, if I'm on with young kids, I just tell them, I said, you just call uh, safes and out on the bases, just hustle. I said, don't worry about nothing else. I said, you don't have to worry about coaches. I got that. Yeah. I got everything else that goes on the game. You, you, man- you manage the game. I manage the game. I said, you guys, all you got to do is make safe and out calls and just work hard when you're on the bases. And, and listen and learn. Listen and learn. Because every year you get more and more experience that yeah. puts you in a position where you can – get more out of it right but, so. like over the last few years i go watch some of our like older officials here and i find uh, some of them should be more accountable for the way they yeah i mean it's they're, they're not accountable well some people just they're going yeah. through the motions like right. i'm still here right. i'm doing my deal yeah. and but i can read that in a second right like i can literally i can, when i walk on the sure. field I'm like okay yeah. this is gonna be a quick night you know i tell my pitchers this is going to be the approach you take Yep. This is how you deal with it, and that's what we do. So, I mean, and what they don't, and you mentioned this earlier just a few minutes ago, people don't realize that you're in real life, too. Yeah. So when you come to the field, there's a lot of real-life shit that goes on that people don't yep. understand, right? It's not it's not a robotic thing. It really right. isn't. You're, you could have relationship issues. You could have, you know, financial issues. You could have... <laughs> You know, uh, you could could have lost your job. Your your yeah. your your kids and you could be arguing about something. You don't know, yeah. um, so that comes into play. You know, and so relating to them is something that people should do more of, and especially kids because yeah. today's society, kids are dealing with a lot of stuff, and um, so when they get to the rink, the last thing they want to hear is a bunch of parents yelling at them about a bad call. Whether you're on the ice or when you're on the court or whether you're on the field, it doesn't matter. One thing that I want to do is to recognize those individuals who have contributed to the sport like yourself. That's why we do these podcasts. Yeah. I want to educate the parents on having a little bit more tolerance and understanding of what officials mean to the sport. And on top of that, I want to encourage other people that haven't looked at officiating as an opportunity to be involved with the sport, make a little bit of money, but also help the sports survive because without them, we wouldn't. Like over the last few years, maybe like I've had uh, hockey players come up to me and say, Pat, I don't know how you can do it, man. I refereed a game. He said, I will not referee another one. He said, I couldn't get it away. He said, me trying to get, I couldn't even see where the puck was. And I said, well, that just goes to show you that just going in referee is not as easy is what everybody says, right? And and which it makes me feel good in a way when they make comments like that, not then knowing that the effort that some of us are putting in. Oh yeah, right. And yeah, but, I mean it's it's just that's what it comes down to. It's just understanding and and bettering the game. Yep. So really appreciate you coming into the studio today and sharing some of your thoughts and experiences over the years. Mm-hmm. Want to thank you personally for contributing to our officiating process here in our local community. I want to encourage you to keep going. 
I don't care how old you are. <laughs> yeah. um, I want to see you 75 years old. Like Lou, uh, Lou Hardwick used to be down there in Shelburne. Yeah. And uh, I'll, I'll watch you those games. In fact, I'll probably be on the bench yeah. still coaching somewhat. I've, took, I've taken a couple years off, but at least here in Canada. But next summer I'll be back at it again. So oh. I'd just like to say something like I consider myself pretty fortunate to be to do what I've did. Over the years, as far as umpiring, refereeing in this province, I consider myself pretty fortunate. Well, before we end the call, before we end the podcast, let's talk. You had a health scare there a few years back. I've, I've actually, I've had a few health scares. I've had a few recently too, but I do, I uh, sort of keep that pretty private to myself. It, it puts it in perspective, though, doesn't it? A lot That's of people, a, a okay. value. Yeah, like in the last few years, like I mean, I've had. Well, like you say, I've I've had uh, cancer scares. Like yeah, one, two, four times in the last few years that I had. Stuff cutting got cut out and like in my arm, yeah. top of my head. Yeah. I had fourteen stitches down to here to take cancer out. Yeah, see, people things. don't know that, right? They don't know. But no. the thing is, with that, like, that's something that people really don't need to know. No, know? but they don't realize that everybody's got their own struggles and we stuff do. in life, right? They're all different. But, but that don't change the way that I look at sports when I go referee. And that, I notice now, like some nights when I go do hockey. There's a, sometimes you'll be a person that's a great guy, like 99% of the time, and all of a sudden he's a little chippier, a little hackier, a little saying stuff. And I'll just skate by, and I said, I said, what's wrong, man? Yeah. What? I said, no, there's something going on. I said, you're just not yourself. I said, yeah, man. no kidding. That's what I say to him. And he goes, yeah, Pat. He said, I had a rough day. I said, well, man, just play the game, relax. I said, right? And you can pick up on it right away. You know they're having, they had a bad day before they come there. But as an official, you can't have a bad day. And then go referee. Yeah, you no. know what I'm saying? Like it sounds like that's that's not supposed to happen. So, we love the game. We love what it provides for us in regards to the energy and the relationships. I just want to thank you for continuing to do it. We need pe- more people like you to do it, and um, I look forward to having you again as a guest, maybe in a, a year or so, to keep an update on how Pat Duffany's doing and. Encourage those kids to get out and register. Get into a, a, an introduction clinic to a sport. Pick a sport that you like and get out there and learn the sport because without people like you, it's, the sport just doesn't survive. And we need more young kids to become older kids that still act like kids like Pat Duffney. Yep. It's Dennis Woodworth and Michael Woodworth on the Weekly Woodcast. We'll look forward to talking to you next time right here in the studio.